0: Alright guys, welcome to the uh, newest episode of Barely Living the Dream, and I think what we're going to do this week is burn off our last um, in-car recording that Chris and I did on the way to the uh, Wicked Tricks shoot, and this one is all about, do you remember doing this one where we just kind of talked about taking licks? Yeah, like, yeah all the taking bullshit the licks, you had to go through? yeah. And I, I was re-li- The reason I want to play it is I was re-listening to it just to kind of go through all the files we had, and I think it's pretty important. And I think you know, honestly, I feel like last week we kind of went through Britney's version of that. Yeah, yeah. And but we hadn't really gotten down into our stories. So yes, I do tell the stories of all the like the bullshit about all the movies all over again. So basically, yeah, we it's a whole <laughs> to uh, to to really do be. A hole in the Conan reference. It's us contemplating the tree of the tree, woe. contemplating our, our future on the tree, tree, of, tree of woe. Yeah. So yeah, it's a whole episode about that. And uh, <coughs> I, but I think it's important because like a lot, of, I feel like a lot of the stuff that I've mentioned in other podcasts that we did previously sort of refers to those experiences. And then if you're people that don't really know what's going on, that will kind of give you the glossary um, or a guide to like what we're talking about. And unfortunately, since we recorded that in the car on the way back from Wicked Tricks, Brittany's not going to be a part of that. One. Right. But I felt that her um, commentary was so valuable on the episode that we did last week yeah. with the the, the Calif- Calif- in California, like stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what I'd like to do right now is just so that I can drop it in there. We're just going to ADR real quick a few exclamations from you, okay? <laughs> so, okay. So okay. First of all, let's get a. They did what? Okay. Okay. They did what? Okay, yeah, I like that. I think it was pretty good. It registered the, the appropriate amount of disbelief, I think. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay, now let me get a, those scumbags. Those scumbags. Okay, that was good. Now let me get one, like, you're not really surprised. You kind of saw it coming. Like, like, of, of course they would do that. Those scumbags. Yeah, yeah okay, there it is. Is. Okay, now finally... Just to cover my ass for the rest of the podcast where I don't drop in stuff, just give me a I'm like I'm speechless. <laughs> see, see how that works? It's genius. Because yeah. then you don't say anything. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And they're like, oh shit, she really is. Yeah. The, the words have been knocked right out of her. So yeah. I'm totally speechless.
1: I'm totally speechless.
0: Okay, great. So look for those. <laughs> yeah, those will, those will be coming, yeah. yeah. So wow. now we uh now, we take you onto my and Chris's personal Tree of Woe. Um, next week or next time, I think I might put these up in rapid succession, but we'll see what happens. It will be a, uh, you know, Brittany, Mel, and Chris podcast once again. So, it.
2: To another edition of barely living the dream um, from the sub the sub chapter on the road again <laughs> we're pretty much on our last leg out to California for the second uh, second period of wicked trick shooting so it's uh, what's today the second May second January 2nd uh, for New Year's Day we drove all day yes. <laughs> um, we're on our final leg we'll be in LA in a couple hours. Our first spot is going to be Roscoe's, I think, of course, because it sounds really good right now. It's our usual. Yeah. And, uh, then we pretty much start prepping to shoot. We start Monday and we shoot all next week. Then I'm sure we'll record a few new ones all, all the way, way back. back. So, uh, we, we were talking and uh, I guess, you know, this episode we'll kind of just talk about getting your ass kicked pretty much yeah. <laughs> old school beat downs. Um, I mean, I guess what inspired us to bring, like I was, when I, driving all day yesterday, I listened to a lot of podcasts, and one that I've started listening to a lot lately is Race Wars with Kurt Mesker and uh, uh, Sherrod Small, and there was an episode where they were kind of, they started laying into dilettante comedians, people that do like one or two open mics and think they're a working comedian, they have a Facebook page that says like, comedians such and such when really they haven't taken their licks or paid their dues or really suffered or, or gone through the ups and downs that you kind of really have to go through to really kind of call yourself that and it really spoke to me because I feel I mean that's pretty much I, I feel it's the same thing with filmmaking I mean I think there are a lot of people out there that are selling themselves as filmmakers putting themselves off as filmmakers when really like they've done In some cases, literally nothing. They have, like, a web page, maybe some concept art. A picture next to a camera. Uh, Wouldn't even know how to make a film with film if they were given some film and a camera to make it with. (laughs) So, it's, you know, that really kind of spoke to me. So, we started talking and uh, decided to maybe just do an episode of... About taking our licks, (laughs) basically. So... uh, I feel like I've told my stories a hundred billion times, so I don't want to jump right into that. Yeah. Although I will tell them again, um, and this time we'll transcribe the for posterity. <laughs> but so in your case, Chris, like what, I mean, what does that mean? Well, I mean, taking,
1: you know, taking your licks to me, it's like, you know, you can't, this is one thing we were just talking about. It's like, you can't just pick up a camera go out to the world and tell everybody, you know, if you've just got your camera at least, you can't go out to everybody and say, hey, I'm a filmmaker. No, you're a guy that just got a camera. Don't get me wrong. It's cool. It's a great thing, you know, good that you're trying to learn, but don't already go
2: out there and tell everybody, hey, I know how to do everything. Yeah, re- realize that there's a learning curve, like, just like anything else. Like, I think it's really gotten twisted in the last several years because, like, the the onslaught of affordable technology has made it easy for anybody to get a camera and go do that. But also, you've had a lot of literature and podcasts and bloggy stuff that's been, like, live your dream. Just make some... (coughs) Robert Rodriguez was like, just make a business card. and says, filmmaker, you're a filmmaker. I don't necessarily agree with that. No, I don't either. You know what I mean? Because you can't just... It's just like any other vocation. You can't just wake up one day and go, ah, I'm the guitarist for Guns N' Roses. Exactly. Or, "Ah, I'm an astronaut, or "Ah, I'm a ninja. I'm an artist, I can paint like Van Gogh, Right. you've never painted a single day in your life. Well, I mean, you know, because it's an art, people think that it doesn't involve a lot of work. Like, you just sort of call yourself something. And it's great to have dreams and aspirations, but to do this in a real way, that's not just you and your friends jerking each other off and making backyard movies, you have to treat it like it's a job. Or, you know, like your career. Because it's work. Especially if you want to move forward and get other people investing in your stuff. There's real money and real concerns on the table. You know, real business deals that you have to work with. Contracts, unions, all that shit. I mean, you can't just wake up and know how to deal with all those things. You can't just wake up and know how to break down a script properly. Uh, you, you know what I mean? Like, you have to put in some time and effort. Exactly. I mean, one thing I can say is, like, actually, from a director that we've
1: just been working with, he was talking to me and we were talking about movies and, like, how many movies have I done and yada yada yada. And I told him, he's like, have you reached a, a million in the hole yet? And I was like, no, not yet. He's like, trust me, you will. And so, it's like, it's one of those things where this is a job, like, this isn't just, oh, artsy fartsy, like, I'm, yes, you're doing it for your art, but it's not just your art. Like, if you're trying to do this for real, like Mel said, there's money on the table, and there's money you have to worry about pretty much every day, and owing people money, because you had an investor that was willing to put X amount of dollars into you and your film, and, yeah, you may sell a movie to a distributor, or the distributor may sell it for you, but that doesn't mean you're gonna make all your money back, by any means. Or any of it, Yeah, honestly, or any of it, yeah. yeah. I mean, you Nowadays. very well might just be still in the hole, and that investor, guess what, is gonna keep coming to you and asking, hey, where's my money? You know, like, okay, Am I going to get my money? Uh, what's going on? And you, you have to handle all that in a business, obviously in a business manner, but you still have to handle it. You can't just say, Oh, well, you know, I'm an artist and they, you know, we sold it, you know, like, no, you have to, you still have to answer to them and you still have to figure out how to get them their money back. Um, which is a hard thing to do, I mean, as far as anything is concerned. But
2: anyway. uh, Yeah, and what I I find interesting is that the people that have the least least know-how or ability to actually like deal with that stuff in a real way are the ones who have their hands out the most and are looking for money the most, and and in some cases get the most money. Exactly. So, to me, I just see this and it's just like, it's almost like throwing money into a fireplace. Yep. You know what I mean? It's just all this, you know, all this goodwill and good money getting wasted, quote unquote, because I know that it's going to be frittered away or it's not going to be, the business is not going to be handled correctly, both for the film itself, for the filmmakers, or for the investors. So, nobody's going to win. Nobody's going to benefit. Exactly. And it's downright infuriating whenever you see people just pissing money away
1: when you're like, you know, you have several scripts in the hole that you're waiting just to see if you're, you've pitched and you're trying to get money for. It. But nobody can nobody's giving you money. But then this guy gets this great opportunity, and it's a guy who barely has even done it, knows how to do it, but yet he's getting the money and he just pisses it all away, you know, he just, he screws up, he gets kicked off the set, he, you know, all this other stuff that happens, I mean, it's just, it's, it's downright infuriating to think about just just go, really,
2: wow, that's how this is gonna go, okay. So uh, what would you say would have been your first experience? Of like taking a lick? Yeah, like getting your ass kicked. Okay, um, hey, You know, on, on behalf of cinema. <laughs> Uh, Should we hold for the uh, inspection? Well, we're going to be in the line for a minute, so we might as well keep talking. Um, Anyway, uh,
1: what I would say is probably it was in college, really, it was when I got my first ass handing. Uh, Basically, you know, in college, it's great, you know, you get to. You get to get if you go to a good college, at least. I mean, in my case, I went to a smaller college, but still, I got to put get my hands on the camera, get my hands on lights, figure out how to do things, and it was, you know, it was fun. It was in, it was great. Now, before that, before I actually had an, in, they had an instructor for film. I, a friend of mine, uh, we both went and shot a movie. It will never be seen by the light of day. Um, we we showed it at a, you know, the theater had a festival kind of thing that it was like, hey, you know, we had one-act plays that directors took, and then, you know, if you wanted to do a film, you could. Well, we did one, and that was when I first realized it was like, this is a job. This isn't, like, this isn't all glitz and glamour, like, you know... You don't get to sit on your ass and say action and cut and that's it. Like, you are literally busting your ass for nothing. Like, except for the love of it, you know? Uh, And I think that was my first real, like, kind of kick in the ass, especially whenever we showed it. And I was like, wow, this really sucks. (laughs) Like, and nobody is enjoying it. Like, you could tell everybody was just kind of like... Okay. <laughs> you know, like, everybody's kind of looking around like, what the hell is this? Is this a movie? <laughs> like, Yeah. Um, so, and you know, of course, everybody was nice and, and they all walked up and were like, oh, it's great. And I'm like, yeah, don't lie to me.
2: Like, well, it's good that you had that self-awareness because that's something that most people lack. Like. Right. You know, they, they can crap out anything and put it up on a screen and people go see it and they think that, they, that makes them, you know, Francis Ford Coppola. Immediately. Yeah, I mean, who knows? Maybe I will put up. It was called entrances,
1: and um, who knows? Maybe I will put it up in one day
2: with a link. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, I don't. I mean, I I honestly feel that way about most things. Like right after I do them, like I always can just see the flaws. Yeah. Um, But that, that would be like the first
1: internal, you know. Taking, taking a lick, essentially. Yeah. Um, but as far as, like, someone getting on my ass about it, you know, it was when we finally got an instructor, and uh, she was, you know, I had done another short, and it had actually gone to a film festival, and won. And actually, that's funny, that's how we almost, we almost met because of that. Mm-hmm. Because of the... I forget what the hell the name of the festival was, but anyway, I did this, it was How to Survive a Zombie Apocalypse, and I'll I'll put the link up to that for sure, because that was actually, it was actually one of my first, I was like, oh, this is actually pretty funny and decent, but I got my ass handed to me because I had music that obviously I had to copyright, you know, I had to, I didn't buy it, you know, I just put it up there, it was on there, I was like, eh, whatever, it's just a short But when it went into a festival, she kind of chewed my ass out about it. Which was right. I mean, you're supposed to do that. You know, if you're going to use somebody else's music, you have to pay for it. Um, And then, I was kind of the first, like, I was like, oh, shit, I didn't even think about that, you know. And, of course, this is all, like, my learning process, too. It's like, you know, you take your licks to learn from them. Don't take them to, like be down on yourself and beat yourself I mean beat yourself up about it because you know you have to do it right but learn from it don't take it like uh,
2: I'm not even sure how to explain this just don't well it's constructive criticism yeah, take in it, most cases sometimes it's not sometimes you know it's hater aid but right. you just have to learn how to filter that out and know when it's when it's someone just hating on you out of jealousy or frustration right and when it's someone that's giving you knowledge that's actually valuable, exactly. Generally, you know, I mean, just consider the source. Yeah. If you go look at what this other person has done, and they've done things of note, then you probably should listen to what they have to say if they've been doing it for a while for real. Right. If they're just some jack off that's never made a movie, that just hosts, you know, film mixers day in and day out, then yeah, you know. Maybe it's something they read on a website that's valuable information, but by and large, they may just be trying to, you know, take out their frustrations on you. Right. So always consider that. But right. that, you know, what you were told is true. And the funny thing is, <coughs> that was like one of your first shorts. Yeah. You'd be surprised how many people at a professional level do that shit. Really? You know, use... use uh, Music that clearly they haven't cleared. Yeah. I mean, to the point where it's like there's whole pages on festival sites for it when you submit. Wow. With disclaimers, you know. Yeah. Um. So yeah, it's people make that mistake on pretty on a, at a pretty high level still. Uh, but it's good that you know you kind of learned that early on. And it's funny that's one of those things that people don't. I've, I've noticed people don't get their heads around. Or it's hard for people to get their heads around early, early on, like the whole rights and clearances, errors and omissions type stuff. Exactly. So, I mean, you know, reasons to have an entertainment lawyer as yeah, well, exactly. like once you get to that point, but. Um, so something else that we kinda,
1: it was my second short, still in college, this is years back, and I'm like okay, well let's do another one, let's see what we can get going. And I'll put a, uh, I'll put a link up, You still have that one, I'll put a link up for that, um, anyway. It was my second one and basically it was all just film students, like we didn't have actors, you know what I mean? Like it was like, okay, so we're just going to put this thing together with no actors and see if we can make it work. Uh, I learned really quickly at that point that you have to have actors, like don't use just somebody off the street that says, hey, I'm... I'm an actor well uh, are you really like what have you done you know do you at least have some stuff under your belt um i learned that was a lick i took and then also your crew uh (laughs) that was something else because you know these were film students they weren't some of them had other things to worry about as far as school and not not that i'm saying school isn't important i'm just saying that it should be treated, because it's still a class, it should be treated as the same. And it wasn't really, uh, I mean, I would have, it would just be me and one other guy basically doing everything, you know. And that was kind of how I took a look there too, because I learned how to light, I learned how to shoot, I learned directing, I had to learn basically the whole gamut of, filmmaking because nobody else was there to help me. you know it was like okay well that didn't work let's try this you know and it was very much so like a Robert Rodriguez fucking just go go for it and see what you can do you know and learn from learn from your mistakes and that really worked for me at least as far as just learning and figuring out oh well if I turn the light against the wall and actually bounce it, it actually looks better and it's softer and it actually creates a better edge on the face rather than, and it makes it more dynamic rather than just pointing directly at the actor. Um, That kind of thing, you know. So I learned on that, I learned how to light and I learned how to make things look good. Uh, And actually I think that was one of the ones that made you kind of go, well, do you want to take a shot at Imago? If I remember right, because I remember I was like, "Hey, my shorts are on there. If you want, if you don't mind, just take a look at them. And tell me what you think." Yeah, whatever, whatever yeah. you. Yeah, you had to use your yeah. computer. So, but yeah, that was that was the second one for me. Uh, well, third one, which however many numbers I've gone through now. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, it, it's. When you say when you say take a lick, it's not like somebody's gonna come up and chew your ass out. A lot of it is kind of you're just you're learning. You know, you're you're learning by mistakes. And yeah, it's pay it's ups. paying your dues basically. Yeah. yeah. Um. Go ahead. I didn't uh, want to cut you off. No, no, no. Um. Another. I'm trying to think. Another one was <clears throat> just not getting. You know, you go and do you do. Set you get on sets just to get on sets so that way you can get experience and you can get in there with some people and I mean a lot of that stuff you know you, you do for free it's part
2: of paying your dues uh, you know just being a PA yeah I mean I never I never really had to do that uh, it just didn't, it was tougher to I guess get on back then uh, because, the, because things were still being shot on film the the entrance exam was a lot harder, I guess you could say. Like, it was yeah. harder for people to get stuff together. Right. So, there was less opportunity to jump on productions because either you would already know your crew, who your entire crew was because it was a school-funded thing or because it was already a tight-knit group of people that had already done something. But, yeah, I mean, I definitely, I mean, the way I did it, like, I worked on a couple of bigger things when I was still at UT as a, as a PA, um, un, yeah, uncredited, just running around kind of observing seeing how things ran, uh, kind of situations. Um, the way I kind of, like the first set I worked on, that was like an indie set. I, uh, I was the boom operator and it was, I think I just answered an ad in, um, might've been the Austin Chronicle. Maybe, maybe it was Indie Slate Magazine, but I was just trying to look for film gigs and, uh, I hired as a boom-op on this film called Best Texas Grocery. That's where I met uh, <coughs> Mark David. He was the DP on that. Uh, and then, I had, then Mark immediately went to do his movie, Sweet Thing, and brought me along as the boom operator on that. And uh, that shoot, I met more people and kind of just got more contacts. And right around from there, I sort of got my – I think I got my job at – public access, so I kind of, I started to have access to a bunch of cameras and equipment and things, and that's when I really started thinking about shooting my own stuff, because the uh, the means were there, and I kind of, you know, at first I had to sort of shake loose the film stigma, because at the time, you know, movies were shot on film, and anything shot on video was amateur or TV or soap operas, you know, uh, so you kind of look down your nose at it a little bit. Um, and, uh, is, but I, but, you know, just because the stuff was there and free, I started shooting stuff with it. Like, we shot a couple music videos on, on, on SVHS, actually, um, on the Sony X2s. I think that's what they were called. Um, and then I actually did have access to a film camera. I bought some 16 millimeter film and we shot... I shot a few music videos on 16 just to kind of get used to doing it. Uh, because at the time, it didn't seem like film was like going away to the extent that it has. You know, uh, The digital revolution was just sort of starting. And, uh, so I still wanted to make sure I had this, the film skills. Like I could load a camera, shoot with film, get it developed where it looked right. What I would have them do in Dallas and uh, the developer was... Uh, basically run it off to beta SP tapes and then I would head it at public access off the beta tapes. So um, I made a few things like that and uh, eventually like I just kind of worked towards starting to make shorts. Uh, there's, I made two or three that nobody will probably ever see, I don't even know if I have copies of them. I know Joel found a copy of them not long ago, got me one of them. Uh, and that's kind of around when I really started. I mean, I already started sort of taking hints because, again, like, there was a lot, and things were still all about film. There was, but with that, there's a lot of old, you know, old school sort of ingrained snobbery that goes with it. Like, you're a young kid looking to do something. But if you, if you started, like, at the time, if I would start to go to, like, film mixers or whatever and try to figure out what was going on know they'd be like oh well you have, yeah you went to film school whatever you know you need a million dollars to make a movie so go get that and then we'll take you seriously or you know people talking up projects that they're actually still to this day talking up that they haven't made you know it was that kind of thing like people just kind of really were dismissive of me and didn't take me seriously whenever I would go to local film stuff with very few exceptions and um I figured, you know, after I heard enough of that and then people, like, that's around when I first started having my my first Emperor Has No Clothes experience, like, everybody was crowding around this one local feature that was supposed to be like, this guy was the new hot thing, the feature was going to do, like, it was going to put Houston on the map, you know, and it was going to be, a, a, you know, a new generation of action cinema or whatever, like, I remember all this stuff like it was yesterday, and the movie took forever to finish. I don't think it ever came. It may may have come out, but it came out under a different name, like a few years ago. I I understand the guy ran off with the money. Nobody ever saw anything from it, but you know, I got the vibe then that like it was kind of a shady deal. You know, just because of the way people were acting towards this guy, and then just something just didn't seem right. Maybe it comes from growing up in the ghetto or whatever, to where I have like those extra people people sensing skills, yeah. to where I can like start to start to at least get that weird spider sense about someone being a scam artist. Right. Uh, but it definitely was going off and because of that, like that was my initial like bout of ostracism. So everybody thinks they're doing it to me for the first time, you're like way years too late. Like it's already happened several times over. Um, but once I kind of like I pushed to the outside, then and you know no one was listening to me or willing to help me or take me seriously. I just figured, well, you know, go fuck yourselves. I have access to cameras. I'll make my own movie. So I did, and that uh, that ended up being Fade to Black, and um, we made. I think it was like 300 bucks is what the final budget was, and uh, did that. Took it to a couple of festivals. I mean, it got an okay response, but I knew, like, it was the same sort of thing. I was like, you know, you could tell people weren't that into it. And, you know, I it was at playing at festivals where the, the movies I would see before and after were, like, way better. Right. You know, I was like, oh, crap. You know, so I kind of I already internally was like, I could have done better, you know. But fuck, I made a movie. I made a feature-length film, like, which is more than, even though it was maybe a shitty movie, it's more than a lot of people have done to this day. Right. All they want to do is run their mouths about it. I got out and tried to do it, at least. And it led to... Like, I learned a lot doing the film. I learned a lot from people busting my chops about the film. But I also got a lot of connections that led to the next few films, you know? Okay. So, you know, like, I around that time, because I was green and I made a movie that was not that great, I had a lot of... You know, there was a lot of rejection and stuff that I went through. Like, of course, I was... I had that delusion where I was like I'm going to submit to South by Southwest and they're going to put me on as a Texas premiere because I'm from Houston and they're going to love it. But of course that didn't happen whether it be because the movie was bad which is most likely or because it's just like an insular thing which may have been a part of it who knows you know like that could be argued but it just you know it didn't happen it never happened. So you start to learn to like not take stuff personally and just kind of keep moving forward. Uh And if you do have bad feelings about all that stuff, like to, I at least learned to channel it into other shit. You know, placeholders is the ultimate example of that. Um, But, you know, from that, I just kind of went on and was like, let me, okay, I've seen these other films that were done on similar footing, with similar equipment, that I think were more successful movies. Let me try to get in with some of these people or try to work on other things and learn some more so that when I take my next run at it, I'll do better. So that kind of, like, from doing Fade to Black, I met the guys that I ended up shooting Drawing Blood with. They had done a movie called The After School Special. And, uh, you know, that's the, I guess, um, they're the twist villains, I guess. (laughs) You know, like, it ended up being, it was a great relationship in the beginning, but it ended up being, like, Turning into like another protracted battle. Yeah. Um, but again, that all of in and of itself is taking a beating that teaches you something. But I can't deny that for a long time, <laughs> you know, prior to really getting in with them, I really wasn't doing anything. Like I was working at Access, making other music videos, trying to get something else off the ground, but to make that next step up was proving difficult. Just because the people I was running with. Uh, the other people that were doing stuff in Houston were trying to do stuff. People like sort of muddying the water. <laughs> so it just so happened, like, I eventually bought a Panasonic DVX. Um, and that was sort of like the new hot ProSumer filmmaking camera because it was shooting 24p. So you could like mimic film look in, in camera now. I bought it. We shot some TV show stuff with it, music video stuff. But I hadn't yet you know, done a movie with it. I had started a script that I was wanting to shoot, which was a script that eventually became Walking Distance slash Psychic Experiment. At the time, it was a zombie movie, and it was kind of, it was a little bit different. It was more like 28 Days Later-ish, I guess. Um, But that was kind of, that was kind of the next thing I was looking at doing. Uh, Meanwhile, the guys that did the After School Special, which played at a lot of these festivals with with Fade to Black, Remained friends, and they were, you know, they were into horror stuff too. Even though they did a comedy, I was actually myself, Joel, Domingo. We were all big fans of their film because we all saw it together at the festival. So we stayed in touch, and I kind of liked their sensibility. And it turns out that they got funding to do a horror movie uh, one summer. I think that was probably two thousand and four, two thousand three, two thousand four. I think it was 2003 because I feel like Melanie had, yeah, Melanie had short hair because she's doing cabaret. She was Sally Bowles. So, because I remember, yeah. anyway, I have to like go through all this stuff kind of blurs together a little bit. But anyway, so I said, hey, <coughs> uh, what are you guys shooting this movie on? And they said, hey, well, we're, you know, the guy we're, has to have his DP is shooting on the DBX. I said, what a coincidence. I also own one. You guys are starting on Memorial Day weekend. How about I fly out there for the long weekend? Haven't seen you guys in a while. It'll be fun to hang out. I'll help you shoot second unit on your film for this weekend. Just to kind of so schedule all the stuff that you think you need extra coverage for, and I'll come up there, free, you know, free of charge. I'll fly myself up there. It'll be fine. Um, it'll be fun to see you guys. Just because I was so, and it didn't cost me all that much. I mean, tickets were actually pretty cheap, and. Uh, It was just kind of exciting to me to work on a set because I I had the itch and it wasn't happening. And they had funding for a real movie that already had distribution in place. No matter how small it was, it was still more than we had done so far, you know. So I fly up to Chicago. We shoot that first weekend of Drawing Blood. It goes. It goes swimmingly. Like I was kind of worried at how I'd fit in with this crew, how I'd fit in with the other DP, because you know, would it look like I was stepping on his toes or whatever. Uh, Turns out he was a little inexperienced, and I had to sh- I showed him a couple of things. But he was he didn't take it weird. Like we immediately kind of became really good friends. So so much so that the next weekend when my wife went up, my my then fiance now wife went up there with me. She was like, hey, are you and that Adam guy gonna make out? Cause you guys see, you guys are like best buddies now. But we just we just got along, you know. It was it the relationship ended up being the exact opposite of what it could have been, right. with this other guy from Texas showing up with his fucking camera, you know. So it actually was a great experience. It made everything move along faster. Um, they they liked how I gelled with the crew. So after that first weekend, they called me and said, "Hey, we're shooting the next four weekends. How about we fly you up every weekend to help us finish the movie? We think that you were that valuable to the production." So they did. So I would come home on Monday, go work at my job uh, where I was making commercials out in Kingwood, uh, drive from Kingwood directly to the uh, to the airport, park my car, fly out Friday, and then we'd shoot Friday, Friday night, Saturday, Sunday. And then I'd come home and do it all over again. And that's how we shot Drawing Blood. And so that was my first uh, after Fade to Black that was sort of my first on set thing and I was I I jumped right up to DP basically and did apparently a pretty good job I mean they won't tell you that now because they fucking hate me because everything else that happened but I remember what actually happened (laughs) you know and I now they credit I think I'm just credited as camera operator on it or whatever but I definitely was a DP on it and they credited me as Melvin House because they think that'll hurt my feelings but you know it's still my name so Uh, anyway, I got to meet Joe Estevez on that, Robert Zadar, which, while they're, you know, they kind of are B-slash-C movie guys that get made fun of because of the stuff they do, to me, that's, those are the biggest, I mean, Robert Zadar's the fucking maniac cop, he was in Tango and Cash, uh, Joe Estevez is, you know, Martin Sheen's brother. Yeah. And, you know, he's the voiceover in Apocalypse, so I mean, like, he, and he was a cool, they were both cool fucking guys. Yeah. And, uh, so that was, that was sort of like my brush, my first brush with famous people on a set. And, uh, it went really well. So it kind of like, it reignited my fire. Then from that, uh, I got the opportunity to do Witchcraft because they, they had, they got the rights to do Witchcraft 13, offered me the gig because they were doing, they were supposed to be doing another movie concurrently. Um. And so, that directly spun out of everything that happened on Drawing Blood to, I'm sure, all of our dismay because it ended up, you know, turning into a thing. Uh, But again, this is all about taking your shots and taking your licks. Like, you know, you have to, with the witchcraft, no matter how close I was with these guys, witchcraft was the time I really learned. That it's show business, you know, not show friendship. Because pretty quickly, I mean, everybody was buddy buddy while we were making the movie. There was some stuff, you know, that went down, but it ended up being okay. But pretty quickly, when we got into the post-production process, it I definitely started getting that Spidey sense again that I was going to get screwed. Because basically, the deal was I would front the entire budget of the movie. Which is only three thousand dollars. Once I finished the movie, they would pay me that money back. And then they would have the movie. What I decided to do with that three thousand dollars was up to me. Like, if I was only gonna spend whatever no matter what, they're supposed to pay me three grand. If I only wanted to spend a thousand dollars making the movie and pocket the other two for my director fee, fine. What I decided to do, because I'm a stupid bastard and was going for like trying to make the best possible movie I could. I ended up spending about seven grand making the movie. Like, we ran into a real cave in Bernie, Texas, because they had written a cave into the script. Uh, and in all the other witchcraft movies, if they write in a cave or a lair, you notice it's just they went to some Halloween store, and got some wallpaper, and put it up in their basement, and put up some Christmas lights. Yeah. I wanted to actually try to add some production value as best we could, you know? So I actually overspent, and just to make the best movie I possibly could. When all was said and done, they wanted me to send all the masters to them without, before they paid me. And I was like, I didn't, you know, I wasn't bored yesterday, Yeah. you know, like I, I, you know, I, it just seemed fishy to me. And I had already read other horror stories about the producers of this series screwing people over, and other stories about other producers screwing people over, so I'm like, <coughs> You know, why am I just gonna believe you at face value? I don't care how friendly we are, how close we were. Just send me the money first. How hard is that? And if you have it, and that was part of the deal, just, you know. Throw me the idol, I throw you the whip. Yeah. You know, like it, it was. It was so easy, but it turned into this thing, you know. And then, then the actors started complaining because they hadn't been paid, you know. And again, stupid bastard me. I was when I got the money I was just gonna split it up amongst the talent I was really ended, ended up with nothing so I was out you know four grand basically um so I for me like the payment was just the check I mean the the uh, the credit and getting the movie out you know at the time it was you know I had a deal to go to Hollywood video and stuff there, it was gonna be in video stores and stuff and <laughs> that was cool to me um so they're rumblings amongst the talent. They contacted the producers. The producers told them that I'd already, they had already. This is when like everything really kind of clicked, and I was like, oh, they were gonna fuck me because once that happened, the producers told them that they had already sent me the money and I had spent it all. Which of course they could have just told them the truth, you know. But they did. And everybody wants to say it's all, you know, it's all a money, money fight drama. But you put yourself in that situation, and you tell me what you were gonna do. Like everybody wants to be reductive about it. You know, people like when it started, like really raising a stink in Houston. Which, ho oh, ho, what happened? All those motherfuckers that talk shit ended up being criminals. What a surprise, you know? Um, but you know, it's it was it was there was some real shady shit going on. So I decided to set on the movie. <clears throat> I talked to the lead actor who agreed with me that we could set on it and to, to tell those guys to go fuck themselves. Because one of the threats that they they hit me with was, "Hey, if you don't if you don't send us the movie, we're just gonna make our own Witchcraft 13." And we're like, "Okay, have fun." And f- quickly, like once we called their bluff, they're like, "Okay, well, that's that deal's no longer on the table. You just send us the movie." So, of course, uh, I had to get lawyers involved, um, and we eventually figured it out. Amidst the, button. they were hurling insults my way the whole time, calling me a fucking hack, saying I didn't know what I was doing, making fun of my film school education, like saying that I went to a, ch- you know, a cheap ass school, or whatever. Just basically telling me I didn't know how to make movies, which, hilariously enough, in the time it's transpired, I've made four yeah. plus a TV series and they've yeah. made none. So. Exactly. Um, uh, but, uh, you know, at the same time, like, if I don't know how to make movies, like, why do you want the movie I made? Just go make your own. Yeah. Save yourself the money. But it all got figured out. I lost a bunch, I lost a bunch of friendships, a bunch of friends. Uh, Melody lost a good friend through, through it all. Um, started getting accused of a bunch of stuff via you know, the ever so important Houston film circle because of all these people that were in the movie that went and then told people the, li- the lies that in their mind had become the truth. So that's kind of when I started to become Negro non grata. Amongst <laughs> amongst the, uh, amongst the uh, people that were calling themselves filmmakers in Houston. So again, but you know, again, like I was like, you know what? Go go fuck yourselves. I'll go make another movie. And what happened was that the lawyers that <coughs> the lawyers that bailed me out of the witchcraft stuff, got banded together to with along with. Uh, my best friend's parents to finance Closet Space, which is the next film. Uh, because they saw that like, what I was going through on Witchcraft, and they were like, here, we'll give you a chance to do it right, and uh, we did, I mean, that, that movie had its own set of problems, I guess, like there was a, we had effects issues, kind of, there was a crew mutiny, we had, I had differences with the producers. Um, I had people turning on me left and right. People not getting, just not getting the process, I guess, because that was the first time, like, we, we were making a movie that had a lot of different, I mean, for the budget it was, there was only $12,000. It had a lot of moving parts. Like, there are these alternate dimensions. We had the build sets. We had cre- crazy creatures. Um, there were CGI effects. Uh, and, there were a lot of volatile elements that were sort of put together to make all this stuff happen. But to this day, I'm still surprised we got through it. And upon reflection, I'm, you know, I had to recut my reel recently, and I was like, man, I still really like closet space. I still really like how that turned out, you know? Not, not to mean that it didn't have its own set of problems. Like, once we... Once we started to finish the movie, like everything got called into question. Uh, I got into fights with the producers. At a certain point, they kind of just stopped caring about what was happening with the movie, so it just kind of went into this weird limbo. Um, I mean, I'm still appreciative to them for giving me the opportunity, but people still ask me about that movie all the time, and it could still have a life, but it's kind of like the people that control it or controlled it just kind of stopped caring, which you can't really do because it's like, this whole thing is a marathon, not a sprint. Yeah. You know, it takes forever for movies to even break even. You know, now... <laughs> Especially now. Especially now. So, that was kind of like that experience. But, yeah, Closet Space it definitely took a lot of licks. Uh, just in the sense that, like, it was... I was getting closer to that sort of paradigm of, like, working with the full crew and full support. But I didn't have a full crew, nor did I have full support in a lot of ways. Like... There was still weird shit going on. I still was directing, producing, set building. Uh, we went to pick up. We went to pick up shots, um, doing effects, building more set. You know, it's, it was that's where I really kind of got my hands in it and did a lot, a lot of stuff to make the movie happen. Um, Witchcraft was somewhat like that, but there wasn't. I guess it wasn't as ambitious of a picture because it's a witchcraft movie, right. you know. You just need you have some sex and some magic and some, you know, some titties and you're good to you go. Witchcraft. But closet space uh, had a, you know, there was a lot. There were a lot more things that we had to kind of fight to make work. Uh, and that was also my first time working with my wife as an actress, which actually wasn't, you know, it really didn't cause many problems. But it also was just another thing, you know. We, the, the main issue with it was that we we literally were bringing the work home, like there was never an escape. It was right. the, the movie was always living with us because she was in it and I'm directing it, or out in the carport building a set, you know, or or, or something like that. Right. And she was also kind of like helping behind the scenes it's like a UPM sort of type stuff. So it was definitely tough, but. I think I look. That's the shoot I look back on with the most fondness. Um, and the licks, although there were some some battles that had to be fought on set, the real sort of pummeling on that one came afterwards, and just learning and dealing with producers to try to have as much control as possible in the future. Right. You know, especially as much control as possible to comparable to what I'm putting into the movie monetarily or creatively so that led you know that led to how we set up walking distance in Imago and placeholders um, and how much time have we spent already uh-huh. 46 minutes okay um, do you have anything to interject while I take a breath um, sort of well. It makes me tired talking about this, you know, but I I, I don't, I don't mind talking about it because it's valuable information. Right. And I think a lot of people prejudge shit while not knowing the entire story. And even though this is, like, I'm not lying to you about any of this, people will say it happens another way. Oh, of course not. And, you know, what I should do is just pull up emails and put them up on the, put them up online. Yeah. So you can see exactly how things transpired, but you know, it, help, it helps me to talk about it, and hopefully some people will hear these experiences and, uh, relate to them in some way, you know. Yeah. Go ahead.
1: Um, I was sitting here thinking about it, and I'm like, really a lot of it is, uh, you know, like psychic, aka walking distance. Uh... When I first came on that, it was like uh, I was a PA. You know, I was there to help, whatever. Uh, Just whatever I could do, you know. And slowly but surely, I kind of worked myself up the ranks because, you know, you could you could see I knew what I was doing, I guess, or whatever. However that transpired, I just knew that all of a sudden I was like no longer a PA and moving up to a key grip. And I'm like, well, wait a minute, okay, that's cool. Which still is like grunt work, but it's grunt work in a, a higher setting. So my next one was probably the Mago, really. Yeah. The MAGO was when I really like kinda but that was your that was your rumble in the jungle. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was when I realized, you know, okay, so in the independent film you know, an independent film, even on a bigger scale, with a budget, you're still kind of have to do everything. You know, there is no, there is no, oh, you're the director, you can sit on your ass and call action and cut, just worry about the actors. No, like, you have to get up, you have to make sure your sets are built, you have to make sure you and your director of photography are on the same page for the day, you know, which is stuff you have to do on a bigger budget as well, but, Like, for the sets, you're not building them. You're just there to inspect them if you're the director, where on an independent film, I was building them. Which is fine, because I came from a theater background. So, I mean, building sets wasn't a big deal to me. Uh, It was easy, in fact. So, you know, we built two sets that could be reversible for different rooms and different uh, bathrooms. Because we actually have two bathrooms in the movie, and we have three rooms in the movie as well. Uh, the main, obviously, the main room we used—the room that we built for—was for Brian's bedroom, uh, which is fine, you know. And, and I mean, to this day, people that have watched it still say, you know, oh, I can't believe that was actually—I can't—I can't tell where the set is, where the real fucking house begin, in, begins and ends, and where
2: the set begins and ends. Yeah. So it works works out really well on that. Movie. Side note, yeah, remind me to do that contract tonight. Yes, got it. Okay, so, um, but anyway, you know, it was
1: that was kind of where I had to take my licks. And I mean, like, I, you know, I could say, like, I think sleep wise, I was probably getting maybe an hour or two. Yeah, at so night. that's about right. You know, uh, I know you and I kind of. <laughs> we didn't fight but it was just kind of like we were trying to build sets and everything else and you kind of like
2: blew up because you are like we well, shouldn't even be fucking doing this you know yeah like I really that was that was a moment where I kind of like had enough of it because yeah. well the thing is like you have to understand like hearing all these I mean look at all I went through before you even came into the picture and I'm Wait. not trying to get up on the cross but no, 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 no. but every time every time I and I'm not trying and I'm not trying to like really be the martyr here but I guarantee you Every movie that we've done, I've been the hardest-working motherfucker on the set. The first person to show up and the last person to leave. Yeah. And I've gained the least, aside from maybe the credit. Right. I've gained the least each time, and in a way, kind of got fucked in the ass each time. Yeah. Up to and it, up to pretty much Imago yeah. so far. Yeah. Yet, we time and again, it, it was still happening, you know? Right. But still... People are, you know, like upper ass about stuff and <clears throat> little things. We was starting to like, pile up, you know. Yeah. Like I think that was right after the dress fight. I yeah, think that's why I finally we were, lost it. Yeah, we
1: and so we were having issues with people on set because they were upset with
2: the they way were it. jealous of Lisa. Basically, yeah, they were jealous of Lisa. And, and we having issues. Yeah, with they that. were doing stupid actory stuff, and it had really it kind of derailed a bunch of shit in a way, and it kind of put. Our relationship with her in a weird spot, which I mean obviously it doesn't matter now because she's a very, very good friend, but probably gonna see her tonight, hopefully. But I mean, what people don't realize and I'm trying to like to find find a way to say this that doesn't sound super shitty producery, but Lisa at the time was our way into that nightmare world. Oh, absolutely. You know, and that's kind of like what I was I was trying to start playing in that realm. Yeah. I started involving those people. And and, and actually, I, mean, I shouldn't be embarrassed because exactly what happened happened. Yeah. She got me to Robert. Yeah. For the next movie. Yeah. That's exactly what happened. And the shit that went down on Imago jeopardized. Could have thrown all that.
1: Well, oh, it could have jeopardized it all. Fresh you know, could have made all yeah. that
2: not happen. Yeah. And so, like, that's kind of why I lost it because... Was that,
1: and then it was, you know, and then I mean, on top of it all, you know, we there was jealousy from crew members of me because they felt like they should be they should be doing what I was doing, but
2: because they had known Mel longer than I had known him, it was just it was crazy weird shit going on. Yeah, they're like, who's this fucking guy? What did he do to? Yeah, and of course they get jealous. You know, they start getting jealous. And they start calling Chris my lap dog or whatever but it was because he had shown he had shown that he could handle it being a director ain't fucking easy (laughs) you know what I mean I mean being a director and so like running it, like doing all and I had seen that Chris was capable of all that that's all there was to it I saw that Brittany was too that's why I let her direct an episode of Placeholders. like it's not it has nothing to do with how long I've known you or some sort of weird loyalty. It's, can you do the job? Yeah, You know? And do you want to do the job? Yep. One of the people that brought that up to me has told me since then, time and again, that they don't think they could ever direct. Yep. So I'm like, well, why were you mad then? Yeah. You know, like, yeah. you were just butthurt about something else. You thought that I was being a bad friend, or this guy was taking your place, or... You know what I mean? Yeah, which I wasn't at all. Like, so, I was, yeah, it, 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 none of that stuff ever entered my mind. Nah. It was purely a business. Like, I knew we needed to make, make, make another movie. I had money from an investor to do it, but I knew, I was still way deep in walking distance stuff because we were... That was after Lionsgate had bought it but told us to shorten it. So I had yeah. this whole other... Uh, shit to do. Yeah, lives. I had this whole other cycle of post-production I had to sort of do over. Yeah. Uh, so I couldn't handle... Which is exactly what we're going through right now. Right, exactly. I'm trying to yeah. Do, yeah, do do the same thing right now. Um, I couldn't handle doing another movie. So it was about business. I'm like, who can direct the movie and who do I trust? And who will... Totally, honestly, who will fucking listen to me and not give me... Not buck up or get, get in some weird fight or be passive-aggressive about it if there's something... If I call them on something and say, hey, we can't do this. And, I, you know, there are a lot of people that could maybe do the job, but I know wouldn't listen. (laughs) I had produced a movie right before that where that exact thing thing happened. Like, we tried to – well, I was the only producer that, like, had the balls to, like, be like, hey, this isn't right. Try to pull the reins on the stagecoach, but everybody else is just like, fuck it, let the horses go crazy. You know, like, run off the road. So I didn't want to have that experience again, just throw money out the window. So there are people that could have done the job, but there's no way I wanted to like try to be a try to produce yeah. with them. Right. And there are people that I know would have probably followed my guide or, or whatever. Not like I'm some fucking you know uh all CI of cinema, but it's my money, so you better Do, do what just, he says. Do what makes me happy yeah. and spend it, spend it, you know, wisely. Um uh, But they couldn't do the job. They couldn't do the other side of it, you know what I mean? So it's like you had to, I had to find that person that would serve both things, and you were really the only person to do that. To this day, you and Brittany are probably still the only two people that I would trust to do that. Yeah. Uh, which Debbie Rashawn yeah. I mean if she I, I still haven't figured out if she's interested in doing more features after the model hunger thing we need to get her on air to talk about all that stuff yeah that'd be awesome but you know Lisa's talked about maybe being interested in doing like of course those people I would trust but as far as in by people I've worked with in the inner circle you know that are that are still part of it that that's it you know cause I don't I don't have time for weird ego fights. Yeah, well let me, I'm gonna jump in on this. Yeah. Let me just clarify.
1: I had done three shorts at that point, just fresh out of college, worked on Psychic, worked on a couple other little movies, nothing big. Like, and don't get me wrong, like, I had aspiring dreams to be a director and that's what I want to do, and I still do. And I still chase after that dream every day. But at that point. We're chasing it across the country exactly. right now. But at that point, it was, Mel was a mentor to me. And a lot of people don't realize that, is that I didn't go into that situation with the idea of, oh, I know everything and I'm the best. It was like, no, I went in there saying, you know what, I'm hungry, I wanna do this, but I need to learn how to do this. And Mel's done this, you know, threefold. So of course I'm gonna learn, and I'm on, I want to learn. You know what I mean? So you were like the Liz Lemon to my Jack Donaghy. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So, so I mean, it was one of those situations where it's like you know I wanted to learn, and on top of that you know I you know <coughs> there was there's other stuff that was going on, was friendship and stuff like that. And I was like, awesome, let's do this because this will be fun and it'll be
2: something that I can remember, you know, and I can learn from. But um, okay, here's the hardcore producer thing. Yeah. That I'm gonna put into that. At the time, another part of my decision was that, hey, because we were friends, but I don't think we were super we weren't as we close weren't. as we are no, now. No, no. So, because of all the shit that had gone down before, I was like, Hey, if this all goes tits up, yeah, it's not gonna affect my life that badly exactly. if Chris if I have to cut Chris out of my life. Right. And that's a hard thing to say. But listen to the stories I just told you. And yeah. hey, there's there's more that I haven't even mentioned yet. Exactly. You know, like but that was part of it too. Yeah. You know, I was like I'm not going to get into this with... I'm not going to ask Melanie to direct something or or, or whatever, because... Right, where it'll destroy your life. Right, right. Um, that's just... that's. I just said Melanie because that's the first example I could think of. But, you know, somebody like that, where... It's it, drastic. It, it would up... Because that's kind of what happened with the Witchcraft guys. Yeah. We, were, we were about to move to Chicago. You know, oh, like, we were really close to doing that. Because there was... I mean, that was around Batman... Uh, you know when they were when they were shooting Batman Begins there, uh, they're getting ready to shoot The Dark Knight. They had shot yeah. that other Jennifer Aniston movie there. There was a lot of film production happening in Chicago, right. so it was a cool you know it was a cool place to be and it made sense to go there. We enjoyed being there. We had we were starting to build a team, I guess, yeah. of people, but uh, a, support, a, yeah, a support base, yeah, support base so we were I mean we were we had, had serious conversations about it just because we wanted to sort of get things going yeah. you know there's a there's a thriving theater scene there you know Melanie could have done that there's music stuff you know I could have done band stuff like we had really really thought about it but it up that all that witchcraft shit upended all of that so I really didn't want to go through that again so I really did think okay well Chris is kind of expendable yeah. <laughs> in a way Yeah. so if he totally fucks this up eh yeah no big deal Yeah. Which, you know, know, and that's one thing a lot of people don't understand. Yeah, they don't see that part. But you know what? Like, he didn't. And that's why we're here right now. Exactly. (laughs) You know, even though the movie hasn't come out yet, that's for different, it's not for, it's for entirely different reasons. Which is another thing that we took, we brought somebody
1: on whom we thought could handle the effects. Same thing with someone, we brought someone who we thought we could handle the VFX. That guy sold money from us. Um, I mean yeah. literally literally we paid we gave him a thousand dollars and he never showed up to set not one day. So literally, well, he showed up to drink beer with the special effects and, guy. Yeah, for the for our hey, everybody come to come to Jesus meeting. It's the well, I say come to Jesus meeting, but it was actually like everybody introduced themselves so let's all well because there was free pizza. Yeah, get together, it was free pizza and beer. So yeah. everybody was drinking and having a great time. And of course, he showed up. But then when it came to hey, this is a VFX day and we really need a supervisor. Oh, I, I've got to watch my kid. I can't show up. And so it was like, well, what did we even pay for? So anyway, besides that, we took a lick on that. I mean, realized, you know what? Like, don't wanna deal with anybody like that ever again. Like, if you're not gonna be there, you're just gonna take money from us. Well, then fuck you. Like, eat a bag of dicks. Um, and then the same thing, I mean, our the SFX stuff, kinda, I mean, he did a, he did a great job modeling and we thought modeling the tentacles and stuff like that for the film, he did a great job with that, you know, and we thought, oh, wow, this is going to look really awesome. But when it came down to some of the bigger effects that we wanted to do and things like that, I don't know if it was he couldn't wrap his head around it or if he was going through some stuff at home that,
2: you know, we obviously didn't know reason. For whatever reason, he stumbled in the execution for sure. Exactly. Which, I mean, he had delivered on two previous movies, so... You know, it it, it did kind of catch us by surprise uh, a, a little, but you know, at the time, the, moment, the momentum was such that you can't stop. <clears throat> so, we had to deal with it, and I mean, now we're, and now we are dealing with it. I mean,
1: we're actually having to, we actually having to go back into post. After we premiered it, you know, we got a lot of very vital feedback. A lot of people were telling us, you know, it's a great film, yada, 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 and we loved it, you know, but, the effects kind of take us out of it yeah so Mel and I both were like okay well what the hell do we do now because you know we can't go back and shoot all this shit
2: and we can't we didn't really at that point we didn't, really didn't have the money yeah and then we couldn't cut it out yeah because it's too vital There's, there would be no movie with some of the right. stuff like the some of the stuff you could probably cut out or cut around right but, You yeah. know. which thank to my my stepfather who has now passed away Um,
1: He, you know, helped us out and got us to a point, and also, you know, we actually got to be able to go to someone else that's a VFX artist, actually, we're working with him right now, Jason Miller, and he said, you know what, he's like, I'll fix all this for y'all, because he could see it, like, because we showed him the movie too, and he was like, yeah, he's like, it looks like they knew what they were doing, but they just didn't, they didn't put the finishing touches on anything. Which is true in some some of the shots though we we're just like, Man, this looks like a Playstation three video game. So yeah. but at that like I said, at
2: that point we didn't have any choice. Like we had to deal with what we yeah, had to deal with. Yeah, exactly. We had so, to go with guys that maybe weren't the most experienced at the time and right. didn't have the most time to dedicate to it. And I appreciate everything they did for us, don't get me wrong, because, I mean, really, like,
1: and like I told Jason, when we shot this without a VFX supervisor, a lot of this stuff wasn't shot correctly, because I'm not a VFX supervisor, nor do I do visual effects. Yeah, and, same here. You know, neither is Mel, so, I mean, we did it with what we do. Yeah.
2: And what, what we basically thought would work. Yeah. Because, you know, the Mel basic idea of, like, getting plates and locking down and stuff, but... It's compositing shit you know like making sure the lighting's right like I don't I haven't really messed with any of that that yeah, was all what it's a it's not my world yeah, you know it's what a VFX supervisor's for yeah anyway which hopefully
1: we can get Jason on and have him talk kind of about a VFX supervisor and their role and stuff like that this yeah. time around um but you know took a huge lick on that and realizing you know hey this stuff's vital like you can't you have to have somebody there like you can't just rely on what you know but show me we have. it's a little over but keep going which I mean as a director like you know you can't I can't step in into a VFX world because yeah I've seen VFX I know how they're shot but for certain things you may have to do something else you may have to add another element whether it be green screen whether it be the actor in front of the green screen doing a certain thing like that has to be added and that's a VFX supervisor's job to make sure that works. But, you know, all in all, Mago's getting done, and hopefully soon we get to unleash it to the world. Yeah, it's got it a new be. name and a fresh
2: coat of paint. Exactly, and hopefully everybody loves it, which I I think they will, I mean. Yeah, because that's one reason, when I started thinking about like taking another run at it and trying to make that happen, one reason was because I was, I think that, like, maybe back then Lisa had asked me to look at stuff for her reel. It might have been... But anyway, I kind of watched it again after I hadn't seen it in a while, and I'm like, man, this fucking movie is really strong. I just wish the effects were stronger. You know, because the performances uh, I, you know, I, I really love and there, there, there are parts of that movie that are, like, among the favorite things that Upstart has ever done. Right. So... I think it really warranted another, you know, another attempt to get it, like, right, or as right as we could right, within our circumstances. So that's what's happening now. And probably the next trip we make out here will hopefully be to Greg's to do another mix. Yeah. Probably hopefully have him on at some point. But, um, yeah, that definitely was a big learning, learning experience. Um. Yeah, I
1: mean, and, you know, like I said, like I was talking about the sets, just kind of go back, backtrack for a second. Yeah. I mean, when it came down to the sets, it was like, you know, one of the reasons that we both were, you you mainly blew up, but I blew up right behind you because I was frustrated too, was because it was like, we were it like that was it there was nobody else everybody well, yeah, else yeah. kind of just ran off and like oh I'm an actor I don't have to worry about that oh yeah. I'm a director of photography I don't have to worry about that well yeah and that it's happened like, on
2: Walking Distance too yeah and, and it's, it's like I, you know I, I understand that it's not really their job to build the sets but it, you know it's, it's complicated because it's like an indie film so everybody knows that at some points you all kind of have to pitch in but then, like, nobody really wants to pitch in when it's the really tough, unglamorous stuff. Nobody will even offer. But then when it comes to red carpet time, oh, I'm, and there's a premiere. Like, yeah. if you look at that walking distance picture on Facebook, every fucking person's there. Uh-huh. I don't remember any of those people being around when when I was building that set. You know what's funny is I didn't even get to make it to that. Yeah. I was there all the time. Right.
1: And it just, you know. I, yeah, you showed I, up I'm, later, though, right? Oh, I got there after the red carpet.
2: So like I, I made yeah. it to the premiere, but I wasn't actually, I didn't get to get on the red carpet. Yeah, but it's like, you know, the, I, it's funny because we, I always always say this, like people always say, like to throw we around, we did this, we did that, when yeah. in my experience, it's like one or two people, usually just me, that's doing the dirty work and spending all the money. I wish I still had that video. Yeah, yeah. 4th of July. Yeah, we were building that set. Yeah, 4th of July for walking distance, me and Chris were building a set, everybody else was at a pool party. And, uh, you know, having a great time. And texting us while they were doing it. Yeah, pictures of them having drinks and all that, and it's like, oh, that's
1: great. Yeah. So, I had the bright idea, because at that point we were grinding. We were literally having to grind shit off of walls, so that way we could put this set up to make more room. Yeah. And I brought the grinder with me, so, Mel and I kind of came up with the idea of, well, I'm gonna we're gonna shoot a quick video, and basically it's Mel with a grinder, and he's saying happy fucking Fourth of July, and he's flipping everybody off, and he's grinding, so it's just sparks everywhere. Yeah. So it's kind of like your,
2: you know, homage to Fourth of July. Yeah. And that, you know, the, you know, people listening to this are probably like, well, why are you complaining? You're the fucking director, or whatever. Like you're the producer. You have to take on all these other jobs. I understand part of that, but I also am not that. That all sounds great, seems great on paper, but I'm not really benefiting from any of that stuff. Like if I'm if I'm gonna dig in and do that much, I want, and this is how it is now. I want to be first out, paying. Okay. You know what I mean? Like I want to have the biggest chunk. Well, and then if, over I'm, the, yeah, I'm, if I'm gonna sacrifice that much for this thing, because really the credit it's great, but it doesn't mean that much. Uh-huh all it means is that when people hate the movie they're going to email you first or yeah. Twitter tweet you first which happens a lot yeah. people that like it do the same thing too but the likes you know you kind of you blow those off quicker than you do when people are like you fucking suck you know what I mean yeah. so <clears throat> you know that's why I kind of get all bent out of shape about it because I feel like I, we've, I've done that on every movie because on Closet Space for sure it was just me and Oliver and Dwayne building the sets yeah you know and then being Oliver breaking down the sets and having to figure out where to take them and all that stuff and uh, so well uh, and, and in,
1: in a real world real world situation which we kind of got the first taste of that until sin. yeah you have a world, construction crew yeah you actually have someone that handles all that and you don't have to worry about it so it's like but even then you got pulled in to help yeah i still did because because we have that experience because i have the theater background and the experience of building sets yeah and i I offered
2: to stay but i think i was falling asleep with a hammer in my hand or something yeah you were
1: (laughs) so basically it was like get the hell out of here go get some sleep yeah um so i mean like in reality you know like you have people that do that for you so as much as you want to say oh you're the director you're supposed to be taking care of that
2: reality you're not like you're you have a crew that does right that right you. but that's you know that's always someone's excuse right like, no, you're, yeah, yeah you're the guy that's doing the movie of course you gotta do it. you know they want to do that but then yeah. they want to but then they don't want you to get all the credit you know what I mean they want to quickly or get paid for it piece that out yeah, yeah. or 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 take chunks of the money so
1: because yeah, I mean in reality like okay so if we want to be real about that so I want to be paid for the director I want to be paid for art department. I want to be paid for, uh, so pretty much I'll take half the budget if you're cool with that. Yeah. You know, like, cause that's pretty much what I did on Imago. So, and that was pretty much what you did on Imago. Yeah. So, I mean, half of our production budget should have gone
2: to us. Yeah. Uh, I didn't see any money. Did you? So yeah, like <laughs> I I definitely said, spent some, yeah. <laughs> I think on Imago I'm, me personally I'm currently 17 grand of the whole yeah you know still but the flip side to that is that we have a very decent deal for once exactly you know on the back end like once we do get it out there I'm not really worried about what's happening to the money right there are the people that bailed us out right uh, which are you know a couple of people that kind of helped us get to the next level with the movie yeah and then it's us yeah you know, and then everybody else is paying you know, but and placeholders it's just us. Yeah. And everybody else can go fuck themselves. Yep. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, you know, there, yeah. there's other producers on placeholders too, but it's like Everybody that's that's getting a part of that cut deserves it in exactly. some way. Yeah. Like they really contributed or they were director or writer or you know what I mean? Like they, they've done something. They they bled a little bit for it. And placeholders was actually one of the it was pretty much the easiest shoot we had. Which funny thing about that is placeholders
1: was the one where actually found the most people kind of bleeding for their art, the best way to say it. Yeah, I mean, literally, cause they all understood, hey, we're doing this for free. Like, yeah. you know, we're just, we're all getting together and doing this. Just be cool. You know, like, that's all it was. And the funniest part is, everybody was like,
2: well, what can I do to help? What do you need me to do? What? Yeah. Uh, what, you know, and it's like, where did this come from? Yeah, I know, it was like, weird. And, you know, yeah. like, we really, like, when the whole Jason Mason stuff went down with that director, I was like, oh fuck, about time! I was waiting for somebody to flip the fuck out. Right? Yeah, I remember. (laughs) Because you always there's always there's always one you know instance like that where someone loses their goddamn mind, and their ego gets in the way, and they get shit twisted. And anyway, that's a that's a whole other story. But but yeah, by and large, that was like a minuscule freckle on like that production because it was there were no issues until later, like things started becoming complicated, but it really was, it wasn't really malicious stuff. Yeah. I would say. It wasn't anything. It's was just sort of like life getting in the way kind of yeah. stuff, but in you know, the, the nature of how we had to approach making that series. Yeah. But yeah, that was, that was the biggest outpouring of like camaraderie, I think, which is why I was prompted to, even though like I control everything about that series prompted to give people pretty good deals like we were talking about on the Placeholders episode where the directors get 50% exactly because I really feel like you know they came in and did the work that's what's right you know yeah that's what's right that's what they deserve so yeah Um, but yeah I mean that was it was the weirdest
1: thing for me because I think at that point me you and Dwayne Domingo were so used to doing it all that it kind of like it was just weird to have people saying well what can I do to help what you need me to do like show me what to do I'll do it that kind of thing and not so much everybody just kind of sit around their ass and wait for us to say okay we're ready to go yeah you know Um, but it it was nice like it was the first time that I could say like there wasn't really
2: like licks to be taken on that because it was just like not really because it was yeah and it was obviously it was logistically more simple to do and because there wasn't effects and stuff weren't much. But, I mean, the only crew was me and you, pretty much. Yeah. Dwayne, Domingo sometimes. When he could. And it it never was an issue. Exactly. It always ran fairly smoothly. Yeah, I never... I don't really remember. I I can see instances where that might have come up and I might have missed it. Yeah. But I don't really remember too much of that. Yeah. Because I think everybody. I mean, I tried to put that shit in check pretty quickly. And then after the whole Jason Mason shit went down, I made sure to communicate exactly what happened. Yeah. So that anybody else knew that if they wanted to come at me like that, they could go fuck themselves. Yeah. And I could do this without them because that's exactly what this was not about. You know, like I. You know, I was I'm done with I was done with dealing with all that bullshit. So, and that's kind of how I approach shit now. Like, well, I just came off a set where I told everybody to go fuck themselves. No. Not wicked tricks. No, yeah,
1: but, but I mean, that's where you. That's where you from taking your that okay. So that's where we start to wrap this up is from taking your licks. You know, you now know where you how you want to approach things and going into another set. You know what you want. You know what you're going to do, and
2: how far you're willing to go exactly. before you say I'm done. Exactly, you know, it's, it's and it's like I'm not. I mean, that other set where I did that, I gave them all, every chance in the world. Like I'm not. I don't go in there like all volatile. Like maybe I'll be in a bad mood because I can't really hide that. I don't really have the emotional tools to be to be anything less than transparent at this point when I get pissed off about something. Yeah. That's just how I roll. But I, I don't let it affect my work or how I treat people I try not to in a professional situation so maybe there's a little bit of that but I don't go in trying to cause problems or talk shit or whatever I'm there to do a job and that's the job I'm there to do I'm not trying to direct your shit even though I have experience doing that I'm not trying to do any of the things I do on my stuff if I'm your AD I'm your AD if I'm your UPM I'm your UPM if I'm your grip I'm your grip that's all I'm there to do unless you need me to bring some experience to bear on something and you ask me and I'll be willing to help So I give chances, but at a certain point, yeah, like, it's just not worth your time. Right. Because, again, like, I've already taken all those shots. I've already, you know, I've already, I've already been beaten up enough to where now I know how to protect myself and fucking swing back. Yeah. And uh, it's, you know, that's just the way you got to roll. And, like, how you prepare for the future, future battles. Because it, it never stops. You just kind of have prepared yourself to throw up blocks or counters.
1: <laughs> well, and that, I mean, you know, Sun Tzu's Art of War, I mean, that's it's essentially what you're doing when we say you're taking your legs, you're preparing and learning. Yeah. So you have the knowledge to go in, not necessarily go to war, but, you know, to step
2: on set and be able to protect yourself. And anti- anticipate the, the next move. Exactly. Like, not, and maybe not even in an adversarial way, although there will be that. There will be people trying to take you out, um, in a yeah. way. Just because of their own agendas, you know what I mean? Right. Uh, That does happen. But also, the movie itself might be trying to take you out. (laughs) Exactly. You know what I mean? Like, you have to anticipate. What's going to happen when this this problem occurs? And then how is this going to affect XYZ down the line? Or the next couple of days of shooting or whatever? You have to anticipate and plan. And the only way you do that is from the experience that you've gotten from getting your ass whipped. You know, like, do you think... I mean, to continually use the fighting... Uh, you know, analogy, anybody that's a great fighter of any kind of, you know, any kind of uh, sport like that doesn't just wake up and beat up the first person that they fight. Exactly. They get their ass whipped a bunch and learn and train and learn how to defend against that. You know, like build up, build up their uh, technique. (laughs) And that's, that's what, that's kind of what you're doing. Both mentally and physically in a way, but also, you know, but also like, uh operationally, you know, how you run things, how you approach things. Yeah, because there is, I mean, there is truthfully a mindset
1: in filming, like, as much as, you know, as much as there's a mindset in doing MMA, and whatever, any, anything you want to throw out there, there's a mindset that you have to be in. And, that mindset is what makes the movie either makes the movie or breaks the movie because if you're the director especially, but like if you're it'll make the movie or break the movie as far as you being on the set if you're not the director and you're somebody else like to be hungry to understand that you know you may be under somebody but guess what you're learning from that person unless that person is just got that job, doesn't really know what they're doing, and
2: asks you for help, and then step in and be like, "Hey, I, know, you know." Yeah, know, and then you, get, what I'm you doing. can also. I mean, you learn from, you learn, you learn from mistakes just as just as much as you learn from successes. Exactly, because
1: something could go. You could be like, "Well, let me try this and see what happens," and it could go off with a, with a bang, and then you're like, "Oh, awesome! Like that worked, even though that was just something I thought up on the fly." And you know, you keep that in your Rolodex to go. Well, if I ever get back in that situation, I know what to do to make that work. Uh, You know, and that's what I mean by mindset, is that there's stuff that you learn, there's stuff that you figure out. There's so many things and so many problems that you have to solve. You're a problem solver on top of it all. So just keep that in mind, I guess, whenever, you know, if you're starting out on this journey into filmmaking and you want to be, you want to aspire to do this for real as a profession, not as just something you're kind of just, you know, if you're gonna be a weekend warrior, that's cool. Whatever, fine, be a weekend warrior. But don't don't run into don't run up to somebody who's been doing it for fifteen years and you're only a weekend warrior and try to buck up to that person because you're gonna look like a fool. And You'll, you'll never, if you ever want to stop being a weak and
2: worry and want to start doing this as a full-time profession, you're never going to because people are going to remember when you did that. Right. And it doesn't matter how many NAB conferences you've been to or how much nerdy camera knowledge you have about whatever new thing Canon's putting out. Like, all that, you know how much that means when you get on a real set and yeah. start trying to shoot a movie and other shit starts going around wrong? Doesn't fucking mean a thing. Nobody cares. Nobody cares. Uh, so, you know that that is not that is not equivalent to like real experience, unfortunately. Hey, don't get me wrong; it's great to know all that stuff. <laughs> it's great. I mean, it it's, is, but don't delude yourself. Yeah. Just like being an entertainment blogger doesn't mean that you can write a script. Exactly. You know, or being an MMA blogger doesn't mean that you can get in the cage and fight. Yeah. Or a commentator. You know what I mean? It's like, not the truth. It's not right. the truth. Try that. See how... See, see what happens. You know, and I and I guess, again, because it's an art, yeah. people don't look at it that way. They think, oh, well, it's easy. Of course we can all do this, you know, because it's all romanticized and they don't think that, that you need to hone your craft. Yeah. Um, so, keep, you know, definitely, like, all that stuff... All that stuff is true. It's like the Batman thing. Like, why do you fall? Exactly. So you, so you learn to pick yourself somewhere. up and yeah. be stronger for it, move forward, use that knowledge because as, as harrowing as a lot of the shit that I've been through has been, like all the money fights, all the friendships lost, the, the fights, you know, the, the, the strife that's led to it, my home life, things like that, that cinema has caused, I guess. It just makes each movie and each production that much stronger because I learned from that. And, uh, and I immediately think, well, how do we avoid this? How do we avoid this? How do, what, a, what, a, what kind of personality type should I look for to avoid this type of person? Yep. You know, or this this type of person that's like a powder keg. So it's like all that knowledge you can bring to bear. Uh, so even you know, even though you may get your ass kicked a few times, you're always learning something from it from your defeats as well as your victories so keep that in mind uh, I think we've gone well over time but that's fine pretty insane there, there are stories I still haven't told but we'll get to them yeah. in a future episode for I sure call it part two part two yeah part two yeah um, the thrill in Manila there you go <laughs> um, and uh, again make sure you follow us upstartfilmworks.com at Upstart Film on twitter at War 54 on twitter at cwar54 on instagram as well Placeholders is currently available on uh, Amazon.com, on HooplaDigital.com, on FilmOn.com. Soon to be a few other sites. Uh, Clinger is available on on demand right now, and uh, soon to be Redbox, I believe. Nike Experiment and Closet Space are available both on Amazon Instant Video and on. Uh, Ooh, where did I just see them? They're available in a lot of places. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's hard for me to kind of keep track sometimes because every day I see them pop up in a new place. Uh, we'll fling up a link or two. Yeah, they, they do pop up on demand here and, here and there. Um, yeah, I'll throw up some links. And uh, we'll see you next time. Probably, Probably on the road back. Maybe while we're shooting. Maybe while we're shooting. We'll see what happens.